This is Mike Quinlan, and you are listening to the Business Owner Transition Podcast. There is one constant in business, and that is that every one of us will eventually exit, and sometimes sooner than we think. In this podcast, we discuss topics to help you with elite preparation, so when you're ready for transition, you won't just exit, you will join that exclusive group of owners who have accomplished an elite exit. We talk with former owners, exit advisors, and a host of other experts to help you increase the value of your exit, execute it on your terms, and most importantly, do it without regret. So let's join the show. Hi, everybody. It's Mike, and welcome back to the Business Owner Transition Podcast. I've got a fun show today. Really interesting guy. Yep, it's Gary Bird, and you're going to love this because he's a marketing guy. So it's not going to be PowerPoint slides and numbers <laughs> and all that kind of fun stuff. It's going to be Gary and a big personality. So Gary, how are you doing today? Great. So thanks so much for coming on or having me on today. I'm really excited to talk through marketing and all the cool stuff you got going on. Yeah, that's awesome. And so just so everybody knows, Gary runs a company called SMC National. He's the owner and CEO, and he also runs a extremely popular popular dental podcast called Dental Marketing Theory. And I will tell you that uh, this guy's everywhere. I mean, he is on main <laughs> stages. He is, you know, he is the man when it comes to these large uh, venue dental um uh, gatherings. And not only that, but he's known as the guy and his company is the company to help dental business owners get traffic in the door. The important part of what we're going to do today is while we're talking about dental, all of the listeners out there that are manufacturers, they're service yeah. providers in different areas, everything we're going to talk about applies directly to you as well. So Gary, tell me a little bit about SMC National. And also tell me about this, uh, about dental marketing theory. I know it's a great show. I've listened to part of it. Yeah. Thanks so much. And I'm excited to have you on. I think you come on in a couple of weeks, so we're excited to have you on there, but we are a SMC National is a dental marketing company. We work with people who want to grow their, their groups or their practices and our company wise that we're always growing. Uh, it's really important to us that our team is always growing personally and professionally. We take company culture extremely serious. We were remote before remote was cool. We have about 100 team members, which makes for a unique management opportunity. I'll just say that. And uh, But we have an amazing team. And that, that amazing team, we take really good care of them. Uh, and they, in turn, take really good care of our clients. And their goal is to help our clients to make sure they're always growing and their team's always growing. We do that through uh, clear data so we can help hold people accountable and help people be the best version of themselves. And then from there, by default, our company will grow. So we've been on the Inc. 5000 fastest growing company list the last two years. We've got about 100 team members or so, all scattered across the U.S. And uh, that's that's what we do. We got started in 2008 during a downturn. I actually had a job. So I, I was one of those entrepreneurs that didn't know what entrepreneurship was. So every year I would jump to a new job because I just would get bored. I was like, okay, cool. I figured out what you want here. And that's super boring. So I'd go to the next job and the next job and the next job. And finally, I, I had a job and it was just so boring. And I, it was that year time frame. And someone said, hey, you should start an email marketing company. And this is 2008. So keep in mind, businesses weren't really emailing their customers at the time. Social media wasn't used for business at this time yet. 
and people were just social media was just becoming popular just for person to person. And, um, there was no uh, text messaging to your customers. So if you wanted to reach your customers, you had to send postcards or pick up the phone and call them individually. All very expensive. So I, I said, yeah, this is a great opportunity. Yeah, I'll do this. So I quit my job. And then the literally the economy crashed. So for the, for the younger folks out there that don't remember that, here's what was happening all around me as I'm trying to start a business. Businesses are literally closing their doors. Restaurants were closing like crazy and everybody was losing their house. It seemed like I knew at least 20, 30 people that lost their house just personally. And it was happening everywhere. So all these houses are foreclosing. Businesses are going under and I'm starting a business. And what actually seemed like a really bad thing at that time actually turned into be a huge blessing for me because everybody at that time was paying about five, five, six thousand bucks a month for phone book. And so, and it wasn't working anymore because there's this thing called Google now. And so, but there was not like an alternative, like they didn't, people didn't know how to use the alternative. So I came in and I said, Hey, I will make your slowest day, your busiest day. And they said, how are you going to do that? If you fill out these email pads, there was no tablets back then or anything, no POS system to capture all this yet. If you fill out these email pads, I'll come by and collect them. I'll enter them for you. And I'll take all your weekend customers and get them to come back during the week. And it worked like gangbusters. And it was 200 bucks a month compared to paying $4,000 a month. And I was driving more business than the phone book was able to drive them. And it was recurring business. And then I learned how to cross promote people. So I'd say, hey, I'm going to send an email out and we're going to cross promote these businesses. So now we're getting in front of other people. Well, really quickly, I realized that this was a great opportunity, but I, I knew that I couldn't do email marketing forever because I knew someone would come out with a software and people could do it themselves and just make it really easy. So we started adding services. And eventually, we we had a full-fledged company and I, I met a dentist. And that dentist said, hey, dentistry is really hard to market in. I said, okay, well, we're willing to give it a shot if you're willing to give us an opportunity to work with you. And they they went from about $90,000 a month to about $400,000, $450,000 a month over a couple of years. During that time, as he was growing, we still work with him. That was about 10 years ago. Um, as he was growing, he started referring me to other dentists. And we started to basically just build out a whole dental division. The dental division got so big that we ended up splitting the company. I went and just focused just on dentists. And that's what SMC National is today. And we, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of how it all came about. Um, so yeah, that's my story. And dental marketing theory was I want to talk, I wanted to talk to people like yourself, people who are in the dental industry who have very unique stories of how they solve problems. And one thing that makes dental very unique is every, everything's so data focused, right? So everything's around data and, and I love data and I'm a huge numbers guy. But dentists are like to the next degree, right? They love data. And so every time I listened to a podcast, it was always just like, it was listening, like listening to a math class. So I said, okay, well, I'm going to bring people on and I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to talk about numbers. There's plenty of people out there doing that. I'm going to talk about your entrepreneur journey. Why'd you get into dental? How hard is it to run a business? What What's successful for you? What's failing? And that's gone really, really well. The, it's been received well. We get a lot of good information from it. I, I try to get people vulnerable and, and talking about stuff that is hard, not just all the good stuff. You know, as in marketing, everybody always just talks about the good stuff. So um, we we try to focus on that. Um, it's not a show about marketing, really. It's more of a show about 
what's what's working for people in the dental industry and what's not and what what direction the the industry is growing. And we have some of the biggest names on there. It's I've really been fortunate to be able to get people who I never thought would ever want to come on my show. And and really when I started it, I was just like I just want to do this so I can talk to people, so I can learn. It was really just a learning platform. But now people are listening and we have thousands of people and listening all the time and it's it's really awesome. Yeah. Well, you know, I look at it this way. It is such a great and fun way to connect with people and actually educate them. Uh, it's on, on my show. I, I, I don't let people sell anything. I, I force them to actually teach people stuff. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> after, after being a flight instructor for 20 something years in the Navy, it, it's much more about, um, seeing people be successful that, that really kind of, uh, makes me happy. But, you know, you said something just a moment ago that I think that I, let's explore for just a second. And then I'm going to ask you about what your, your thoughts are on the dental industry. But you said to me just a second ago, you get, you started in 2008 during downturn. And I often see CEOs that I do consulting with have the tendency to want to cut marketing and sales budgets at when the downturn happens. Right. And so I know you've got a good quote on that coming. I do. From yeah. Ford. So we were just talking about that. Yeah. Henry Ford said, a man who tries to stop advertising to save money is like a man who stops a clock to save time. It doesn't, it doesn't work. And it actually is going to have a, there's a huge ripple effect. And I've seen this happen where people will stop marketing because, uh oh, our numbers are dropping. So you cut your marketing spend because that's easy to cut and there's an external vendor. So it's like, doesn't, doesn't rock your culture or anything like that. But then what happens is that feels good. So now you're profitable again. So you're going, okay, we're, we're back to profitable this month. Right. But then the ripple effect of not having those new patients coming in next month doubles down because the revenue's still not there. Now you don't have new patients coming in and it's actually the reverse. So, and it's, it's a little counterintuitive, but when you think about it, if everybody's scared, but Warren Buffett say, buy the fear, sell right. the greed. So if everybody's scared and everybody's going, man, we're, we got to cut back, we got to do, you know, lay people off, we got to cut our marketing spend. What that does is it actually makes marketing easier and cheaper. You should be able to produce more, and then you want to double down at that time. That's the time you double down. That's when market shares are grabbed. Do do this. Go out and Google search all the companies that were built during recessions and depressions. Most of the big companies that we see today, that we every day that we just take for granted that are in our life and are were created during the, either the Great Depression or a lot of the tech companies were during the tech uh, bubble or the 2008 bubble. A lot of the big ones were created during that time because it creates a vacuum of opportunity. It's easy to start a business when everything's going well. It's really hard to start a business when everything's going south. So people stop starting businesses. People stop growing, people stop investing, and it becomes so much easier to grow during those times. And so I, I, I know I'm a marketing guy, so it's easy for me to say, spend more money on marketing. But like <laughs> I, I'm doing the same thing. We've doubled down. When, our, uh, when COVID hit, we lost 75% of our revenue overnight. Boom. Because all the dental offices closed. We had a couple that stayed open just for emergencies in certain states. So that was our 25%. So we could not make payroll. And so we went to our team. And we said, hey, mo all of our clients are closed and they've laid everybody off. Because so every, almost every dental office that closed laid everybody off. We said, we're not going to do that. And I know business-wise that doesn't make sense, but I'm going to make a bet. 
I'm betting that the economy is going to open back up in the next 90 days and we're going to get back to business. And, and we took out loans to literally make payroll. Right. And the reason that I was willing to do that was I knew if the economy didn't open in 90 days that we were in way more trouble than having some credit card debt and some loan debt, right? Yeah. Well, we five x our business during that time because most of our competitors did the opposite. They laid everybody off. So when the market turned, we were ready to go and ready to receive that business. Nobody else was ready because everybody was laid off and it's a process yeah. to bring everybody back in. So when you when you double down on those opportunities, it pays huge dividends, bigger than you can believe from a market share standpoint. Yeah. It, so let me ask you a question. So uh, systemically, as maybe a percentage of revenue, what would be a, a good target for a marketing budget for that's actual a, content? That's an for for what for say for, it again for not overhead. So not the people, but the, the oh yeah content. yeah for just for just the produ- yeah. okay great yeah. question. So here's what most people in the dental industry do. Even big groups I've had to do this before. Okay, Gary, how much should I spend per location? You want five thousand? that's not how you pick a marketing budget and don't ask marketing people what you should be spending. That's a bad, bad business, right? Because marketing people are happy to spend whatever they can get their hands on. So you sure. don't want to go to the marketing company and ask them, what should I be spending? What you want to do. And I know, I know we're on the same page with this because we talked about this before, What you want to do is you want to go look at what your revenue is. And then you want to spend a percentage of your revenue towards marketing. Now, in dental, these are loose bands, so it's not always true for everybody, and it depends. Are you in pedo Medicaid versus GP versus implants versus ortho? Like They're all different, but I'm just going to give you some loose bands. So 1% to 3% is basically like, hey, I'm just playing ball, right? Like you're, you're mm-hmm. out there, and you might get some good results from that, but that's just you're, you're dipping your toe in the water. 3% to 5% is, hey, I want to grow. I'm taking this seriously. I know what channels I'm investing in. And I'm, I'm expecting growth from this. And then anything above that, like when you get to 6 to 10%, is I'm expecting massive growth. And my operations is expecting massive growth. And so like an example of that is, is you just hired a new associate. They have no business. They have no way of uh, uh, producing results uh, from a treatment standpoint unless you load them with new patients. That's when you're going to want to ratchet up that budget and, and want that potential outcome. Now, the reason yep. that everybody's so scared to do this, and, and I understand why, I understand how they feel, I should say, because I would feel the same way if I was in their shoes, is because they don't actually have clear metrics around what's working and what's not working, which means you're flying blind. And so what you want is you, you all you have to do is reverse engineer your marketing. So if you can figure out what your cost per lead, meaning how much is it, you watch Shark, Shark Tank, right? Sure, sure. You watch Shark Tank. So what's the first thing they ask everybody? What's your cost per acquisition? How much uh, does it right. cost to and when they don't when you don't know that number, they slap you pretty hard on that show. Yep. And in dental, the vast majority of people don't know this number. How much is it to how much does it cost you to acquire a customer, a patient through the door? And so what most people do is they take their marketing budget. So we're spending ten thousand dollars a month and we're getting a hundred new patients. So my cost per acquisition must be a hundred dollars. The problem with that is, is those aren't all marketing patients. Yep. Some of those are patient referrals. Some of them are drive-bys. Some of them are doctor referrals. The reason you can't apply that marketing budget to that number is because those other numbers aren't going to scale as you double or triple your marketing budget. So when people, so what happens is, is people go, oh, my cost per acquisition is $100. If I spend $20,000, I should get to 200 new patients. And they do that. And guess what happens? 
they go, wait, I just doubled it and I got to like 110 or 120. What happened? Well, your real cost per acquisition is probably closer to like 500, $600, but it's invisible to you. You don't, you don't see that. So once you get real control of your cost per acquisition and you work with a company that can actually show you that, it changes everything because then it's just math. Then it's cool. We spend 10,000 and our cost per acquisition is $200. So if I invest another $2,000, I'm going to get 10 more patients through the door. And then you know the levers to pull when to pull them. It changes business. It makes it so much easier to be effective. Yeah. Well, so what you're saying and and some of the, uh, just in simpler terms is that instead of peanut butter spreading your marketing budget across the general population of possible customers, right? Let's first identify who our ideal target client is, and then surgically strike our, our marketing budget to that demographic. Um, and, and I think that uh, it's interesting also in dental, you mentioned it just a second ago, is that all of these, these subspecialties in the industry, you can't just say my dental marketing budget is X. No. Nope. Yeah. So the way I describe it to people is you're do, usually most people are uh, net fishing for their marketing. So what happens when you net fish? You throw a net out in the ocean, you get some of the fish that you want, but you also get hundreds of creatures that you didn't want, right? right. So that's what most marketing is in dental. And it's scary to stop that because you don't know what's going to happen if you stop that because you don't have clarity around what's actually producing and what's not. What I like to do is more like deer hunting. You see a buck, you have one shot, and you either hit it or you miss it, but it's extremely valuable every time you hit it. And if you do that enough times, you you get gain confidence, and that's that's a hundred. Yeah, that's 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 the core of why people fail in their marketing. Um, and then to your point, the avatar is huge. So who you're actually serving really matters. It it, it makes all the difference in the world if you understand what kind of patients you're trying to reach. And this is another mistake that I see people make is they go to the marketing company and say, well, you tell me what kind of patients I should get. That's again, you don't want a marketing company picking that. If you ask me, I either want to do pedo Medicaid because I can get those patients through the door in huge volumes for really cheap. Mm-hmm. Or I want to do all on force because yeah, the cost per starts a thousand dollars or 1500 bucks, but I'm getting a 15 to one ROI on it. And you might go, well, I don't know. I don't like doing either of those treatments, <laughs> right? <laughs> so that's why you don't ask the marketing guy. What you want to do is you want to get really clear on your clinical model. And so what's your clinical model? What are you trying to run? And people try to do everything too soon. And that really messes you up because you can't, trying to have one practice that you do. I just had a talk with a guy and they had everything from pedo all the way up to all on four in the same practice. And yep. he was like, how, how should I break down my marketing? And I said, you need to start splitting some of this. Some of this we can talk about and some we can't. It's kind of like doing Chuck E. Cheese with like like uh, uh, golden sna- uh, sacks, right? Like I wouldn't yep. mix their marketing together and go, yeah, we have it in the same place. You're going to get to your Chuck E. Cheese pizza and then you're going to go upstairs and do your investing. That doesn't, those are two different avatars. So you got to really be wise in how you pick your avatar because one avatar will scare away another avatar and vice versa. Yep. Well, you know, we talk often about, well, we talk a lot. We talk on every show about the I'm good checklist because it's central to 
building transferable value in your business. And it could be a dental related business. It could be a manufacturing related business, mm -hmm. but you know, I'm your checklist. It's interesting because you're hitting solidly into three different places. So I is increasing cash flow by virtue of doing what you do. We should be able to increase cash flow. The M is transfer is institutionalizing transferable management and staff. The first O is optimizing financial statements. And here's another spot where you are, which is uh, documenting operations and processes and not just document it, but optimizing those processes. And marketing is a process. It's not just uh, kind of a broad um, application of dollars that you hope the right things happen. Yeah. And, but what you can do is you can affect the last element, which is D, right? Um, which is diversifying the customer base or diversifying the payee base or the, um, the type of uh, service delivery that is being generated. So I could go to you and I could say, Hey, listen, my client, uh, Dr. X is highly concentrated in the type of client they're serving. We need to generate some diversification. Gary, let's talk about that. They're willing to do these different things. Now let's talk about how we can actually create that, that, yeah. that client diversity. Yeah, I love that. So this is, this is like business one-on-one, right? So <laughs> what you want to do is you want to add what the next step is in the patient journey. So like I sell marketing. So one of the things that we add on to our services is coaching. So if you can't answer the phone, we're going to say, okay, well, we have a phone coach that can help you convert that because that's the natural next step, right? So if you are a GP, if you're a general general uh, dentist, mm -hmm. then what's, or any business, whatever business you are, and you sell something, you sell a service or a product, what's the next step in that product? What is the next thing that the, the customer is going to want or the patient is going to want? So again, using a dentist, if you are a general dentist, and you're doing fillings and those kind of things, what's the next thing the patient's going to want? Well, Invisalign's really easy to add, yep. right? And yep. ortho's really, like, that's a really easy one to add. Dental, yep. single dental implants, really easy to add. You're going to have a whole customer base of people who want dental implants. And you're going to have a whole nother different customer base that's going to want Invisalign. So all of a sudden, now you have these high ROI, meaning that's a return on investment. So yep. for every dollar you're putting in, you're getting five, six, seven dollars back. And you just added that to your top line. And now there's some complexities that get added to that, right? There are, there, there's easy ways and hard ways to do this, of course, just like anything, but those are the natural next steps. Now, then when you start to get in and go, okay, well, we want to do full arch, you can do that, but that's going to add a lot more complexity, not just to the clinical model, but also to the operational model and also to the marketing model. And then that potentially, when you go too far out to the right or to the left, again, if you say, well, I want to add pedo Medicaid. Okay, well, here comes 400 new patients this month. Yep. You're going to go, whoa, 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 that's too much, right? So we went too far out to the edges. And so and in each category, you can go to the right or the left too far. So you, that's where you have to really have somebody who understands how to, one, drive these people in, but also how this connects to your operations. So we've, if to all of them, if you've ever marketed before and you've used somebody, you probably used somebody who didn't know what they were doing at one point. What will happen is, is they'll overwhelm you with a bunch of opportunities that aren't real opportunities. So if a bunch of people start calling me and they're going, Hey Gary, I heard you can do marketing for mechanics. Well, that's, 
I'm going to have to waste operational bandwidth on those people. And I'm going to have to tell them nicely, I'm sorry, no, we don't. Or I'm going to get on a sales call with them and then my sales team's going to go through the process and they're going to go, oh, no, 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 sorry, there's a misunderstanding. That costs you something, right? Yep. That actually costs you something. And so what you want to start to do is not only measure what you want and what you don't want, but then where it's breaking. And this is what we're really, really good at is understanding where in the process stuff is breaking. And so like, I'll give you an example. I call it the black hole of marketing and dental. And this is in every industry as well. Sure. So, but I just know these numbers in dental really well. You spend $10,000. Okay. Average phone, uh, the average unanswered phone rate. And I want your listeners, if you, if, what guess what your unanswered call rate is. And you're going to make up a number and people always say, oh, I've heard 100% or 99% or <laughs> during normal business hours. The industry average, if you don't know this number, meaning not by your gut, not what you think it is as you listen, the industry average is 35% right now. And I know you work with the mall. I work with like Corey yep. from Call Force yep. and mall from Patient Prism. They see the same numbers. These are the numbers that we see. This is the average. So that means you you're, break that down. And I'm not talking about after hours. I'm, not, I'm just talking about normal, even whatever hours you're open, 35%. Because we're short staff right now. All the offices are short staff because there's a hiring trouble right now. Yep. So $10,000, that means $3,500 of that goes down the drain. Because the second they call and you don't, you don't answer, they call the next dentist right on the next list, right? Okay, so now we're at $6,500. Okay, what is the average phone conversion for marketing? And I know what everybody thinks. Everybody says, oh, no, I know Susan. She does great. I hear her. She's great on the phones. I know. She's awesome. But what is her marketing conversion rate? If you say, well, I don't know what my marketing conversion rate is, or my global rate is 90%. I know your global rate is 90%. That's all of your patients all, and all of your new patients all mixed together. Just marketing, because these are harder, harder patients yep. to get in. Yep. What is your conversion? It's The average is 50%. That's if just Susan is there, even if you've given her all the training in the world, because training means nothing without accountability. Everybody always reverts back. We've learned that the hard way. So now we're at, what, 3250 now, what's your average time to appointment? And you go, well, yeah, we're busy because we're short staffed, but we still need new patients because we, you know, it's this this conundrum we're in, right? And you're punting out two weeks. If you're not getting that patient in within 48 hours, 72 hours at the most, your no-show rate's going to jump 20, 30, 40%. Yep. So guess what you end up with? This is This is assuming your marketing's perfect and it's producing perfectly. You end up with about $2,000 through the door, just on the averages. And this is why most people go, well, marketing stinks. It doesn't work. It doesn't actually help me. Now, I'll give you one more number on the back end. So this is one number that I know that we're the only people that track this. And, and the reason we're the only people is because we're the only ones dumb enough to invest in <laughs> in six years in time to, to, to go into this. And you have to really be a dental nerd to, to understand why this is so important. We measure recare of marketing patients. So I always ask everybody, what's your recare rate if you're a GP office? Well, how, many, how often are these people coming back? And everybody says, well, we're like 90%, which is amazing. But most people don't realize their marketing recare rate. That means the new people that are coming from marketing that are coming through your office are recaring at like 25, 30%, somewhere right in there. Mm -hmm. And so what this means is this is the glass ceiling that all dentists hit. So you're paying $5,000 a month for marketing. You've been doing that for five years. You're getting 50 new patients a month. You've been getting the same amount for that long. You say your retention rate is 90%. Mathematically, you shouldn't be able to 
even spend a dime on marketing after about a year of that. You should have you should be exploding at the seams. There's no more room for marketing patients. You should be turning off your marketing, but no one does. And everybody says, I want to keep growing. And we even hired a new associate and we're not growing. We hit that ceiling. That recare rate of the marketing, that's why. That's the mm. thing that you have to close that back door. And it's not because you're bad that they're not staying. You're actually a great practice. It's that you have to uh, slow down and you have to approach these patients slightly different, these marketing patients, than your patient referrals and your doctor referrals. And so obviously shoring up some of these, you're using more micro metrics than you are uh, macro metrics, right? You're, you're digging in to places where you can really see how you can move the needle quickly Mm -hmm. and moving the needle quickly in those areas can have a dramatic effect on overall revenue. So I think that, that it's really interesting because people tend to get comfortable in their businesses over time and they allow, um, the, uh, this leakage in revenue because they just, you know, this kind of, they've been there, they've done it. Everything is cool. You know, I'm living a good lifestyle. I want to grow, but you know what? I don't want to grow that badly. Right. Um, so if, if you are serious about this, then breaking down those macro metrics into the process and where you lose people in the process can, can dramatically help you um, shore up the system. So are there any, you know, top, maybe top three recommendations that you give to your clients with regard to, um, to shoring up those micro metrics? To shoring them up? Well, first of all, you have to know them. No one knows them. Yep. So if you don't know them, you can't do anything and you can't hold, here's, here's, here's the big one. You can't hold anybody accountable to a fluffy number or just, hey, you stink on the phone, Susan. Yeah. You can't. Hold, yep. I can't hold you accountable to that. Even if I hear her and she's failing, you have to have a metric or a number to hold people accountable. So this is actually, it goes to culture. This is a culture thing. And I really believe this strongly. Yep. That everybody on the team needs to know what winning and losing looks like. Yep. What is the number? What is the thing that they're owning? And so for the front desk, it's, phone uh, answered call rate, phone conversion. And then at that point, if they can't convert on the phone, there's one of two things. Do they have the bandwidth? Is there the capacity? Or is there a capability problem? If they're just really busy and I can tell, we we listen to the phones and we can tell they actually have the skill. They're just busy. They're like, I want to call you back. Can I call you back? Can I call you back? Hmm. But they have the capability, then there's a capacity issue. That's actually on leadership. That's not on the front desk. If it's a capability problem, then we run and we say, okay, let's support that. Let's give her the training. Let's give her the tools and, and say, okay, you're at 50%. We want to get you to 80%, but you're not going to do that right away. Let's just get you to 65% this next month. Here's the tools on how to do that. Here's actual examples on how to do that. Here's how you were doing before. We'll check back in with you next week. Most people improve when you do that, but you right. just have to have somebody who's focused on that and that they have an actual stair step and a number to work to. Same thing goes for uh, show rate. Same thing goes for ROI. ROI is just a treatment presentation and a clinical presentation. That's it. So then you know right where to go. If your ROI is really low, we measure ROI on like first visit, 30 day, 90 day, and then lifetime. So if the, the first day ROI, first visit ROI, I should say, 
is really low, that means one of two things. There's either a, um, a capability problem, they don't know how to present treatment, or there's a capacity problem. And then we look at the 30-day ROI, and if the 30-day ROI spikes, that means we have a capacity problem. So we got them to accept treatment, but it took us time to get them back, and now we have opportunities there. So now yep. we can, how do we open up more room because we have more patients? Do we need to hire more? Do we need to make more capacity? Do we need empty rooms to be able to do same-day treatment? And this is what allows you to get to your formula of growing that top line. And it's it works every single time as long as you as long as you know your numbers. Yeah. Well, it takes diligence, right? It's it's proactive leadership when you're running your business. It's <laughs> yeah. not it's it's not complacent leadership. And it's interesting that business owners, as good as entrepreneurs as they most of the time are, like to generalize in terms of strategy and implementation of tactics, right? They generalize what that, what looks good, what will be successful? Well, it'll be successful if it does something, but they don't typically put numbers to them. Yeah. Hey, Jim. Okay. That's great. That's, this is one of the top things that you want to take care of this year. And you think it's going to do this. Let's put a number to it. What's the number? Well, what is, what do we need to hit? Right. Yeah. Let's let me load. break it. Let me break it down to like in a way that a dentist do it. Right. So mm -hmm. when a dentist has a patient come in, what do they tell that patient? They break everything down to just like stupid. Right. So they go, are you brushing twice a day? Are you flossing once a day at this time after at night? Right. Not in mm -hmm. the morning. I need you to floss at night. And are, uh, and then here's a water pick or here, use this mouthwash. Right. And they make it really simple. And then they say, do that every day between now and the next time I see you. And then what did dentists tell you? They go, if you do this, you don't have to pay me a bunch of money. Right. But if you don't do this, you're going to pay me a bunch of money to fix all these problems. Marketing's the same way. Everything else in business is the same way. You're either going to get these micro metrics, which are floss every day and brush your teeth every, twice a day mm -hmm. and use a water pick once a day. You're going to go to those all the way down to the micro every single day. And you're going to hold people accountable to that. And if they don't do that, then you're going to end up throwing money at the problem. That's, I mean, that's everything in business is that way. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, okay. So we've talked most of the time today, which is uh, about some really cool stuff because it's, it's, it's direct tactical in the office kind of stuff that we've talked about tonight. So what I'd like to get your opinion on is you know, the status of the dental industry today. And, mm. you know, we are... Uh, we have a softening economy. We don't, you know, we may go into a full recession. Um, what does the industry look like? And from a marketing perspective, what do you think the opportunities are for, you know, dental business owners out there to succeed? Yeah, well, the first thing I'm going to say is the big dogs don't ever slow down during the recession. They double down, triple down and expand and, mm -hmm. and take advantage of that opportunity. And so, but most of the small guys do stop out of fear. And so if you, if you really want to grow the recessions and downturns are the best time to grow. Um, dental, the dental industry as a whole has proven to be recession proof. Uh, it was even yeah. pandemic proof. Like we, the numbers you go and look at the year that we had COVID and then the year that we didn't, they're relatively the same, right. Or there was a slight growth or slight shrinkage, but it was almost it, like it didn't happen, right? I know that there was a couple months where we were sl slow and then it rebounded. Yep. But the p point is, over the long haul, it's it's pandemic proof. Not all industries are that way. 
some industries didn't bounce back. Go ask the people in the cruise lines and the in the hotels and things like that, right? Okay. So how what what can we learn from that? So one is betting on your business is one of the best things you can do. If you're taking money and you're putting it into and I I'm all for Bitcoin, but before you put it into Bitcoin, I'd put it back into my business. I'd hire coaches. If I and, and and if I didn't understand something, and I do this all the time, I grew we five x our business over a very short period of time. <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing. When you get to when you go from eighteen team members to a hundred, it's a slightly different different business model that you're running. And when you do it really quick, you don't have time to learn on the job. I went to people who knew how to do those things, and I hired them. And I said, "Teach me, please. I need help because I didn't know what I was doing." And so, as you grow, bringing in experts to help you along the way. It's the fastest way to learn. And sometimes it doesn't feel good to cut that check for five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars. I get that. But the way I think of it is this is gonna save me six months. This is like the cheapest thing I could do to get that time. And the opportunity loss is huge. Okay. Yep. So when you have an opportunity loss, when you go and start looking at where you should be growing versus you've been stagnant, that's where it gets really, really painful to look at from an entrepreneur's standpoint. The other thing is, as far as dental goes, um, it's still very early. We're still way early. If you go into these other industries and look at what's going on there, it's a bloodbath. Fighting for customers, fighting for employees, fighting for everything. And businesses go out. uh, Here's the interesting thing. If you and I started a business, Mike, any business, pick any industry outside of dental. Yep. Yep. 95% failure rate. That's right. But if you and I partnered with a dentist and opened a dental office, 90% success rate. So we're still in a really good time. I would, yeah. like, why wouldn't you invest in the dental? I would double down, triple down, quadruple down. There's, there's a reason that uh, VC money loves tech because the, the upside's so big in tech because machines do the work, not people. So huge profits there. So they're yep. okay picking 10 companies and one wins, they still make out like bandits and they're moving to dental. Why? Because it's very, very safe and the returns are very high. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so there, the private equity companies, the VC companies, there is a lot of dry powder that they've got out there that they must use. Yes. <laughs> and this industry, you know, they have to put it to work. Otherwise they have to give it back. Yes. And uh, this industry is absolutely, uh, you know, there's a ton of activity going on right now. Um, all of your clients probably have received, you know, unsolicited offers at some point. Yep. And, you know, I part people of people reach this, out to me offering, Hey, do you want to, you want to help me buy some dental practices? Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? VCs right. are reaching out to me. I can only yeah. imagine what they're, what they're doing uh, to the actual dentist. That's right. Well, you know, and you got in our business, we get all kinds of people that are really interested in talking to us because we're the ones working with all these people. Yeah. So, um, it is, it's, it's, um, cool. It's highly active right now. And the companies, the owners that have multiple practices and they're being looked at by these DSO buyers out there that are private equity backed. And the three elements of the lead to exit are, um, maximizing transaction value, right? And then if you really have a strong business, then you're much more likely to be able to do it on your terms. Yep. hundred percent. Right. And if you really have thought about all this stuff and gone through the work, then hopefully you're going to be able to do it without regretting the fact that you did. Yep. 
And what I would ask you right now is, so let's say you've got one of your clients that is number one, trying to improve the quality and the cash flow of their business so that, first of all, it's just a really nice business, but secondly, so that they can prepare themselves for making good decisions if they receive an unsolicited offer that mm -hmm. might make sense, right? But not only make good decisions because they've got the right intel and they've got the right type, you know, they've, they've cleaned up their business. Um, but secondly, uh, trying to execute a transition strategy within three years. So what do you tell them from a marketing standpoint? Hey, listen, this is what I think we can help you with if you've got 36 months left to go and we need to, um, to dot, dot, dot. Yeah. So I, I love build to sell. So I've built my business to sell, even though I'm not mm -hmm. going to sell it. Yep. And what that means is, is that I'm not involved in every single nook and cranny. I'm not stressed out every single day, putting out fires all the time. If, if, if you're doing those things, do you think people want to buy that? Right? Like, do people want to buy fires, dumpster fires, and people want to buy stress? No, yep. they want to buy good cultures. They want to buy um, effective machines that actually work. When I say a machine, just go watch Shark Tank. It shows you how people, how these people think, right? These business people who come in and, and buy this stuff, they go in and they look for opportunity. So what's the upside opportunity for us? And then they look at, well, how can you acquire a customer? And if yep. you can acquire a customer and you have upside opportunity, then, then you're going to have people kicking down your door and then you get to pick. But if you don't have that, then you're left negotiating with one person and they're in control or two right. people in there. And that means they're in control. And so it's much better to have multiple people coming to you rather than you going to one or two people. A lot of people sold during the pandemic when nobody knew what was going on and people lost out during that time because People got scared, right? It was, and I understand. Like, if I was sixty years old and worked in my practice forever, and then the pandemic hits, like, yeah, I might, I might be like, okay, now's the time to sell. <laughs> and I can, I can understand that. I actually bought a house during the pandemic. In the middle of the pandemic, I lived in a house. I was renting it. I told the lady multiple times, I went, hey, I want to buy it. I want to buy it. And she, she, I'm in Southern California, so it's like hard to find a house. I have yep. a lot of kids. Yeah. And I, and she said, okay, I'll sell it now. And during the pandemic, and I knew she thought that she was getting a good deal out of it. Like she was like, oh man, this is all going to tank. This thing went up. So <laughs> I can't even tell you. It makes me choke just thinking about <laughs> it, how much it went up after she sold it to me because I took advantage of that opportunity, that fear. And so yeah. if, in, if you have three years, you, you couldn't be in a better position with the economy and the, the political cycle. We got a couple more years left. Like it's going to be pump fear. And that always causes the economy to slow down. You're in a perfect position. Just organ sell, build the business in a way that you want to sell, that you would want to buy it. And if you do that, yeah. that is going to make your life better. Even if you end up not selling it, it makes your life better. So um, that's that would be my advice. Thank you. Well, Gary, so we've had a great conversation today. Did we miss anything? What do you think that uh, the listeners would uh, benefit from hearing that maybe we haven't talked about already? Uh, we didn't talk about branding versus lead gen. So this mm -hmm. is where dentists get lost all the time. They want okay. branding, right? So they want the billboards. They want the television commercials. They want you know their face everywhere. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? There, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and they, the problem is, though, with branding is you can't measure it. There is no output to it like, hey, what's my cost per lead? What's my cost per acquisition? So you have to always ask yourself, is this a branding play 
or a lead generation play. And I do a ton of branding. Like if you're on social media and you're a dentist, you probably see me all the time. And I invest, it's cost me a ton of money to do that. It's not cheap to do that, to stay in front of people all the time. But I don't, I, it doesn't, I can't say, oh, I got 10 clients from that. I can't, I can't measure that. Right. Where lead generation, you can measure all of that. Both are good. But as you grow, you need to be able to ask yourself every single time when you invest a dollar, is this a branding play? Meaning you're going to measure by eyeballs and the influence it has on those eyeballs. Or is it a lead generation play? And that means you can measure cost per acquisition. If you are doing lead gen and you can't measure cost per acquisition, you are guessing. Yep. Yep. All right, Gary, listen, thank you so much. I learn a ton every time I get to to talk with you and listen to you educate me. So I appreciate it. And for all you listening out there, if you are in the dental business, you can't be an engineer, you can't be a manufacturer, (laughs) but if you're in the dental industry, and you need somebody to teach you what micrometrics are and to uh, make sure that you've got a, a good growth rate that that matches what your strategy is, then Gary and SMC National are the guys to do it. In the show notes, all of that information is going to be in there. Heck, all you have to do is Google him and he's going to, you can't miss him. And uh, Dental Marketing Theory, remember that. That's a great show. Yeah, and check it out because you're going to be on my show. So I'm going to do the same thing because you you have a wealth of knowledge on what you do. So when I do the next show, it's going to be me asking all the questions. So I'm looking forward to that. All right. Well, I look forward to that as well. I, you know, I wouldn't be opposed to coming back out to Southern California. I, I, I grew up there. So. Oh, really? Um, okay. That's right. That's awesome. right. All right, everybody. Hey, listen, it's been great. And I look forward to uh, talking to you again soon on the Business Owner Transition Podcast. Have a good day.